0: Draw us close, Holy Spirit, as the scriptures are read and the word is proclaimed. Let the word of faith be on our lips and in our hearts, and let all other words slip away. May there be one voice we hear today, the voice of truth and grace. Amen. Now open your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 24 and turn to verse 36. Matthew 24, verse 36. And let us read the words of Jesus regarding the time of the day of the Lord. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field and one will be taken, and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, that's Jesus saying something that many of us have accepted and and assumed to be uh, what we would call the rapture. And we talked about that last week in our discussion of the coming of the Lord and the gathering of the saints. Now, the more important message for today then is not so much that we will see that day when one will be taken and another left, but the question of when is what seems to weigh heavily on people's minds, and there are two consequences of asking the question of when. And one of those is that we would get tired of asking and assume that it's just not going to happen in our lifetime. And so we don't live with the imminency of Christ's return. In fact, we live as though it's just a fairy tale that won't come true. The other consequence is is that we're so vigilant that we're a little bit ridiculous about it. We're looking for the Antichrist around every corner. We're looking for all the signs and symptoms and and we're making ourselves a little bit crazy. (laughs) And we're not busy doing what God has called us to do while we are here on earth, to follow his son. And his son gave us everything we needed to know about his return so that we wouldn't be obsessed with it. Rather, we would be busy doing the business of serving and caring for those things that our lord sets as the highest priorities now the idea of imminency is a lot easier to understand if you've ever experienced pregnancy now you either experience it because you're the woman who carries the child or you experience it because you're the father who is trying to be vigilant and protective and careful and serving in any way you can imagine now There are certain signs that you're told to look for. Now, the first signs I remember from our five children were the flutter of the little one in the womb, the first time that uh, the, the mother feels the movement of the child. And that's a wonderful sign. It's an exciting sign for both father and mother and then there comes that uh, unfortunate period of discomfort that also goes with those early days of pregnancy and all the illness and the and the terrible turmoil the body is going through as it's being transitioned from serving one to serving two then there's that sort of sweet spot they say that comes in the middle where there's extra energy and vitality and there's a kind of glow That's so pleasant and unique to the expectant mother. And then there's that last period where great discomfort and the readiness of the body to expel this child (laughs) becomes a priority. And it is around that time that, uh, that fathers and mothers start looking for indications that the baby is due and that the The labor pangs are going to begin. Now there are certain things you're supposed to look for and I remember with our first baby I had to I had to go to school I mean I insisted on it you know my wife is a is a remarkable woman and she already knew everything she's just like that you know these country girls are awesome and uh, she knew everything but she put up with going to classes for my sake. And so I went to the baby birthing classes and I took notes and I recorded everything in my mind because I was terrified you know about how all this stuff was gonna go and and uh, I didn't want to let my wife down I didn't want to fail my child and I wanted to make sure I had all my ducks in a row and and I had memorized all the things to look for and then I remember one night when I knew that this baby should come anytime now I awakened in the middle of the night and it was very dark night and there was this bright light coming from our kitchen at 3 a.m. in the morning and I woke up and shuffled down the hall and bleary-eyed looking at my wife who is large with child mopping the kitchen floor. And I said, honey, what are you doing? And she said, I don't know, I just need to do this. And I said, okay. And I went back and got dressed and made sure I had my bags ready to go and I was all prepared to go to the hospital because in that particular case it was a long drive for us. And I was so afraid that it might not happen according to perfect timing. <laughs> and uh, turns out that's one of the signs that you look for. That is an indication that the child is almost ready to come. The baby moves into position, and the mother's very aware of that movement. And so there's that sign. And then there's the issue of waters, as the as the Bible would refer to it. That tells us that the birth water of human birth is released so that the child can begin to emerge into the world and and then come the labor pangs. And they come with increasing intensity until eventually everything is right and the baby is born. Now it's no wonder then that Jesus refers to the last days as being birth pangs. He says, in effect, you're going to see all the signs that indicate that this event is about to happen. But rest assured, those are the signs, they're not the event. And so when he tells us that we will see and hear things like wars and rumors of wars, and and we'll see earthquakes and famines, and we'll see all of these, these coming events, that we should recognize that these aren't the end but indications that the end isn't far away. And that's all fine and well, except that we have unfortunately a limited view in that we tend to think of these things within the terms of our own lifespan. We think generationally, but God operates outside of space and time and therefore does not operate in the same framework within which we live, meaning that some of the birth pangs indicating the coming of Christ have been going on for a long time and not necessarily during your lifetime. And some may continue even after your lifetime draws to a close. No one really knows for sure when the birth pangs have started to come closer together to the extent that we can be certain that it is time. But we will see them coming closer together. We will be able to recognize that the imminent return of Christ is very close. And I'm inclined to think that it is. And yet not willing to think that it's going to happen in my lifetime. But I have to exist in the belief that it will happen in my lifetime I have to believe that it's going to happen in the next two or three weeks I have to believe it could happen this afternoon I have to live that way let's turn to another scripture reading this time I want you to read with me from the gospel of Luke and we're going to read chapter 1 verses 26 to 56 so it's a little bit of a reading but it's one of the most precious readings in the entire gospels and his kingdom there will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. for behold from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and the mercy at his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts and he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You hear in that very last part of what Mary said that this is something they have expected. This was anticipated because these were the words that were spoken to the fathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And it was spoken throughout the generations of the people. And so Mary and Elizabeth were not at all surprised that these events had finally started to come and happen. Mary was so faithful and so remarkable that when she heard this news, it didn't come as a big surprise to her, and she simply said, then let it be. What an amazing faith. What a remarkable human being she is. And so Mary, in faith, says, I knew this was coming. I didn't expect to be such an important player in the process, but good news. And so she does obediently participate in what God is doing and in the same way Elizabeth does in fact they represent generations of people who faithfully anticipate God fulfilling everything God intends to do and yet they can't know for sure that it will happen in their lifetime or even if they would have a part in it in any unique way Yet when they're called to see it in their lifetime and to play a major role in the process, they simply say, thy will be done, Lord. What an amazing personality trait that we should all have. And let's talk about a man named Simeon for a minute. Later in the Gospel of Luke, after the birth of Jesus, Mary and her husband Joseph, who was also faithfully living out what he had expected and didn't know whether he would see they're taking their child to the temple to be circumcised as according to the, to the custom is eight days after the child's birth. And as they enter the temple, a man named Simeon is there and he has been faithfully waiting all his life for the coming of the Messiah. And the spirit revealed to him that he would see the Messiah before he died. He knew then by the prompting of the Holy Spirit as soon as he saw this baby Jesus that he was looking at the Messiah and he held this person in his arm, this little tiny child in his arms and knew that he had been privileged in a way that generations of his ancestors had only hoped to be privileged. He got to see the fulfillment of the prophecy that their Messiah would come. And so he said he could die in peace knowing that he had seen the Messiah. So he didn't even get to see how it all played out. He didn't even get to know how the fulfillment of of these prophecies would occur. Nevertheless, he's rejoicing. You see the pattern here? Those who anticipate the coming of Christ's second return must do it with the same level of faith. All of those who have preceded us in the church, the body of Christ, have anticipated Christ's return right down to those who witnessed his departure as he ascended into heaven. And yet all have died not seeing it, but living as though it could happen at any moment. That's imminency. Now, What do you think you should do? What do you think your response to the imminency of Christ's return should be? Would not God prefer to see us ready as Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah were, as ready as Joseph and Simeon were, and countless multitudes of faithful who waited and believed that it would come? And so we must live in the same way. But we have a special privilege that the Old Testament saints didn't have. We have the privilege of knowing that when Christ returns, whether we've died and gone to our rest in the flesh or not, we will be with him when he comes again. As we read last week, we have been promised that the ones who die in Christ will join him as he returns. And then in an instant, those who are alive in Christ will be transformed in the same resurrection form as Christ and those who have died. And they too will join him as his triumphal return occurs as the groom comes for his bride to take the bride back to the father's house. Now we have to be willing to deal with God's silence and that's a hard thing for us because we're impatient and we're in a culture that, that values and, and supplies instant gratification. And so we really don't know what to do about God's silences. But we should recognize that God isn't always silent. That God is always at work even when God isn't saying much. Look at your Bible, for example, and flip back to the last book of the Old Testament. Do you realize that between Malachi and Matthew, there was about a 400-year gap? (laughs) That, That there's this long period where apparently God is silent, but God's not really silent. God is just working in different ways always making preparations remember when Jesus said that his father's house had many rooms and he was going there to prepare a place for you and if he was going to prepare a place for you then he was going to come back and take you there so what if he's preparing the place for us and what if he's silent in those moments or seems to be silent Looking at the Old Testament, between the time of the last book of the Old Testament, between the first book of the New Testament, in that span, there was a lot going on in the Holy Lands that indicates that things were being made ready and that those things were not always fun or pretty. But they were all part of the fulfillment of God's perfect timing for the birth of the Savior, the transmission of the gospel, and the return of the Savior. God is perfect in God's timing. In fact, after the first of the year, we're going to spend some Sundays talking about God's timing. And you won't want to miss that. So just keep in mind that when Christ returns, there are going to be signs, and there are signs all around us right now, and, and think in terms of birth. Since our Lord used the terms of birth to describe that for us, we can rely on that. If you don't know much about the process of, of uh, gestation and birth, then you might want to read up on it, because it will help you to understand what you can anticipate as signs of Christ's return. And then remember his words when he said that it would be like that. When they get closer together, when they become more intense, then his coming is very near. Let us pray. Almighty God, I thank you again for your word. And I pray that you burn into our hearts all that has come from you. And that everything that is not from you would be disregarded and swept from our memories like sawdust, chaff, Oh Lord, awaken your people. Awaken the people to their sacred tasks and their readiness for your imminent return, we pray. Amen.